All right. And so, yes, my uh, my recording did come out last week. If you listened, it might be a little bit garbled because it was recorded on my iPhone. But I got the solutions taken care of. So, anyway, um, some of you know that we have had uh, here at the church the last last Saturday and again on Sunday a pastor from Scotland. Um, pastor Jeff and him got connected because the name of his church is Home Church, Glasgow. And so somehow they came up on the internet, on their Facebook, and they got connected. So anyway, he's been over here uh, teaching. And so um, yesterday, or actually this morning, he and I sat down. He wants me to teach a uh, Wednesday Zoom class uh, for his church in Scotland uh, every Wednesday. So it'll be... For me, it'll be for like 1.30 to 3 in the afternoon, and it'll be their nighttime service. So, um, pretty excited about that. Uh, he just wanted somebody to uh, teach the Bible to his people, and he's got numbers of people that, he's got several different classes that people can take on Wednesdays, but uh, this will be for uh, the teaching, and he wants me to teach Romans. So, <laughs> am I gonna do it in this room? No, I'll probably do it in my office. Maybe you wanted an audience. No. Probably not. Yeah. I got I got an audience in Scotland, so it's because it's gotta be on my laptop. And I use my I use the uh, I use the camera on my laptop. So anyway. Uh, besides you'll know everything about Romans by the time we get there anyway, so no. All right, so let's uh, let's open your notes. Set apart for the gospel of God. That's our our lesson for tonight. We've been looking at this opening passage because there's so much here. Uh, it's so many different uh, things that Paul gives, uh, like an opening introduction to, and summarizes what we know of as the gospel in just a few of these statements, these phrases. And each phrase is, is important for our full understanding. The thing that we looked at, first of all, we, we started through Paul, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So we were looking at that. We looked at some about the city of Rome, some about the church, how it got started, who started it, um, which we don't really know, but it was a growing church by the time Paul wrote this letter. It's people that are filled with um, wisdom. Paul thanks God for them and for their faith that's known throughout the world, the empire as he knows it. But also they had a lot of questions, and there's a lot that has to be sorted out. And so Paul's going to deal with that uh, in this section. He kind of gives an introduction to it here. But the problem uh, is, seems to be mostly between the issue of Judaism and Gentilism as far as being a Christian. Jewish Christians... Are they the same as Gentile Christians? Can they blend together? Are they one? 
There seems to be a lot of question about that, a lot of question about how the gospel affects uh, the individual believer's life, um, a lot of seeming, uh, I don't want to say ignorance in the sense that they're, you know, abusively ignorant. They're ignorant in the fact that no one's taught them some of these deeper truths of what it means to be saved and how God saved us. And so Paul presents uh, a message of the gospel in chapters 3 through 8 that is just, you know, the pinnacle, really, of Christian teaching. But he wants to lead up to that, and so he does here, first introducing himself in just these little phrases. He's, first of all, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And he doesn't really use that, you know, as, as authoritatively, say, hey, I'm an apostle, and, and, you know, whatever I say is, you know, fact and has to be accepted. He's just introducing himself. That's what he is, called to be an apostle. But he didn't start this church. Normally, Paul's letters are to churches that he started, that he was the participant in the beginnings and the foundations of those churches. And so as their apostle, he is writing to them. Here he's writing as an apostle to a group that he himself did not found. He did not uh, bring them to their, their place. Uh, there are people there he knows, and some that have been in the faith even before him, as he mentions. But those are things for chapter 16. So then the next phrase that we come to is this, uh, this statement he makes, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle, but he's set apart for the gospel of God. And this phrase, set apart, has to do with being designated for a specific purpose. And Paul uh, indicates here that this this set apart had to do with the message of the gospel he's not just set apart for anything set apart for this or set apart for that though paul is set apart for many things but here he wants to emphasize that his message is for this gospel and again you know as i've i've said from the start here when we think of the gospel we think of the new testament presentation of the gospel Paul didn't have that. He was writing it. So when Paul talks about the gospel, he's talking about that which was proclaimed in the Old Testament and being fulfilled in the life of Jesus and being understood in the lives of believers and becoming reality. And so later, as he writes through uh, his various letters, he does more about telling us what the gospel does, what the gospel means, what it means to be evangelized or to receive the gospel, what it means to preach the gospel. But here he wants to talk about this fact that he's been set apart. He's been marked off for a purpose. Now, the idea of being set apart is you didn't do it yourself. So you didn't set yourself apart. So it's not the word to, to like separate yourself for, to something. This is something that somebody else did to you. You were set apart. And so someone has had action on Paul's life. 
who's that going to be? Well, that'd be the Lord Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. As we're going to see, all three persons of the Godhead were involved in Paul being set apart. And so, this is something that someone did to him. Paul was happy on his way to persecute Christians. <laughs> but, you know, and it seemed like that was the right thing to do. And he was pretty happy about it, as he says in Philippians. He said, I, I had great zeal. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. There's my badge. Yes, sirree. I was doing what I was called to do, and that's persecute Christians, drag them from their homes, separate, even threaten murder. And uh, Paul was, thought he was set apart for that. But God said, no, I got something else for you, and he set Paul apart. God chose him and put him apart. And we'll talk about how that applies also in our lives. But so this wasn't for Paul's own purposes. This is to fulfill somebody else's. So the first thing you have to understand is when you're set apart by God for something, what is it you're set apart to? I mean, say, hey, I'm set apart for God. To do what? I don't know. Just am. I got my set apart badge. Jeff, set apart. To what? What is it? And so Paul knows, as he's been informed, he's been set apart for the gospel of God. That's not the gospel about God. That's the gospel that has come from God. The gospel that God has presented. What is the word gospel? We talked about it before. The word gospel means what? Good news. It's a new message. There's news and then there's good news. There's old news, new news, I guess. But there's also good news. And good news in the Roman Empire was, you know, as I said last week, that there's going to be, you know, a gladiatorial uh, three-day combat thing. Lots of blood, lots of death, lots of killing. Come and be a part of that. And to the Roman population, that was good news. Whatever, right? But that's not how it's used in the New Testament. It's not how it was used in the Old Testament. Because the phrase good news doesn't start with the, God, the New Testament. It starts with the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, God announced good news. The good news was going to come. And then he wraps that good news into things that have been known from the beginning. So let's first of all take a look at this set apart. Page two of your notes, uh, Paul says, I've been set apart by God, by God. And this being set apart by God took place before his conversion. Look at Galatians chapter 1. It's there toward the top of your page. Galatians 1 verse 15. Paul says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Paul was set apart before he was born. So there is a set apart. There was a marking Paul off that took place before he was born. Then he's born. By the way, that answers the question is, 
about what takes place in the womb, but we'll move on from that. He was set apart in his mother's womb. But then he was called by grace. What's that? Salvation. This is not his apostolic calling that's referenced there in chapter 1, verse 15 of Galatians. Set apart before I was born or from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. That's to salvation. When you study the life of Paul, you find a man who grew up born in the city of Tarsus to a Greek um, a Jewish father who was Greek because he didn't live in Palestine. All right, so he didn't live in Israel. And so they were called Greek Jews as opposed to Hebrew Jews. Yeah, that's, that's what they had, Greek Jews and Hebrew Jews. And so the thing is, when you were born in a foreign city to a Jewish family, you were Jewish, but you were a Greek Jew or Hellenized Jew. But what a lot of people would do is near time of the expected birth of the child, the family would go to Israel so that the child was born in Israel. Therefore, the child is now a Hebrew Jew, which answers the question Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So, I'm a Hebrew Jew because his mother was in somewhere in the land of Israel when he was born. So he could be a Hebrew Jew. It was like some special designation. I'm not one of those Greek Jews. I mean, they're good. They're okay. We like them. It's okay. But we're Hebrew Jews. Which led to the conflict in Acts chapter 6 between the Hebrew widows and the Jewish widows. Who is getting blessed? Whatever. But Paul says, I was set apart. And he began his study. And if you study Paul's life, he began to study. He, was, he went through his basic uh, rabbinical school, studied learned, wanted to be a rabbi, so then he dedicated himself to further learning, and then they would usually finish rabbinical school somewhere around the age of 20, 25, somewhere between that range. Then they would be sent out like an apprentice. And if you measure Paul's life, the time in which he was sent out as an apprentice was exactly the period of time that Jesus was preaching in Israel. So Paul was somewhere else. Where, we don't know, but they would be sent out as an apprentice to study under a practicing rabbi in a larger city. My guess, along with several others, is Damascus. Why did Paul want to go to Damascus to persecute Christians? What was drawing him there? That the message of the Messiah had reached his chosen city and he was going to go and straighten it all out that's the way i see it anyway somewhere along there paul comes back to jerusalem and happens to be there when the whole incident with stephen takes place so then stephen 
preaches to all of them. And it says that Stephen was so eloquent with his understanding that no one could withstand him. Who was in that synagogue listening to Stephen? A man named Saul. So, how many think you could out-argue Saul? I, I don't want to try. My father was an attorney, and I didn't argue with him. It was a losing proposition. But Paul could not withstand Stephen. He couldn't answer the questions. He couldn't, couldn't re, re, uh, refute the things that Stephen was saying. And it made them all so angry that what did they end up doing? They stoned Stephen, and Paul's the one that said, yeah, throw the stones. Kill him. He's worthy to be killed. And then he left, and he wanted to go to Damascus to, um, to seek Christians and bring them back. What was going on? Remember what he said, I was set apart from my mother's womb. Why did Paul want to be a teacher? Why did he want to study the law? Why did he want to be involved in all of this? Why did he want to dedicate himself to learning the Old Testament? Why did he feel that compulsion to make all this preparation in his life? Because God had set him apart. He didn't know for what. He thought it was to persecute Christians. But it wasn't. God was preparing him to be able to bring forth the gospel from the Old Testament. To show from the Old Testament that Jesus must be born, suffer, die, and raise from the dead. All from the Old Testament. How did Paul know that? He studied it. And then after he got saved, revelation started coming to him. So, it was God who set him apart for this work. And then God called him by his grace to salvation. That's explained in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Read it sometime. 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 17. But God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It's so... God had all, Paul had all this preparation to understand Judaism, to understand the Old Testament law, to understand all the things that the law said. And suddenly now that he's saved, it all begins to make sense that this is about the Messiah. No one could explain the Messiah better than Paul. And he could present this message as God chose him to do. He makes another statement in Ephesians chapter 3. You can read this there. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, again, we're back to this gospel, the gospel of what? Not the New Testament gospel, the Old Testament gospel. Of this gospel, of what was contained in the Old Testament, the good news about the Messiah from the Old Testament, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. I didn't have this wisdom. I didn't have this understanding. How did I receive it? God's grace. So, did God use Paul's education? Of course. All of his learning, yes. 
But did God overwhelm that with his grace? So the revelation of understanding how this Old Testament prophecy refers to the Messiah, that was a gift of God's grace. And so all of this came to Paul. And so uh, I was made according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8 says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given. What grace? What, was, what is this empowered? This is not the grace for salvation. This is not the, the grace to, um, to have the finances that you need for your life or healing or whatever. Though This is the grace to do what? The grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ from the Old Testament. I want to hear all of Paul's <laughs> series on how the Old Testament presents Christ. Unfortunately, God didn't give us that book. But he gives us elements of it throughout his letters. Now, Paul's one of these. How many of you are, are one of these, kind of like me, so I'm going to put myself up here at front. I, I know what the verse says, but I can't tell you the address. How many, how many are like that? So join Paul, because Paul in the book of Hebrews says, one man says in one place, and then he quotes from the book of Psalms. He, did, he didn't even say, David said in the Psalms, and, and not give you the chapter and verse. Okay, well, in Paul's day, there was no such thing as chapter and verse. It was all written on a scroll. You had to unroll the scroll and find the place where you wanted to read. Paul just says, one man in one place. Nowhere in Paul's writings, when he quotes Old Testament, does he give you any basic reference to where it came from? He'll say it came from the law or the prophets say this or whatever. And he just presents it. Yay me. All right. Because that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I might remember the book. Sometimes I don't. Jan's a little bit better at that. Sometimes I have to ask her, where is this? Um, or I can get out of concordance and I can find it and <laughs> Google it, whatever, you know. But so Paul says, but I'm called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That there are things from the Old Testament that were presented that are so deep that you will never reach the fullness of them. And to bring to light for everyone. So I'm called to search those out, find those things, and bring them to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? It was a mystery until God gave Paul the permission and the key to present it. And so Paul talks about him receiving from God a commission to preach these unsearchable riches of Christ and the mystery that's been hidden for ages. And then he goes on, hidden, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, as I'm preaching, as I am building this body called the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, even the angels didn't understand some of the things that Paul was preaching. They, they never figured it out. And part of that was this 
union, Ephesians chapter 2, on in Ephesians chapter 3, this union of Jew and Gentile into one new man, being the church. And so Paul presents that. Just read through Ephesians 2 all the way to the end of Ephesians 3. And it's just one of those powerful passages where Paul says, this is this mystery that was given to me to proclaim. So that through the church. All right, so what is this gospel? It is this message that was hidden in the Old Testament, but is now being made known through Paul's preaching. And yes, the other apostles are preaching those things. Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and says, hey, this is what took place in the book of Joel. Really? Where did Peter get that from? Spirit of God on the inside of him. Things that Jesus had made reference to, and all of a sudden Peter, Peter didn't have a device so that he could Google Joel and, and bring up some kind of wisdom, you know, from the book of Joel that applied to the day of Pentecost. It, it just came out, and he preached his message from that passage. So it wasn't just Paul, it was the other apostles teaching these things, but no one was given this dispensation or this stewardship of teaching these things more than the Apostle Paul. And the book of Romans is the best collection of all of it. And so he says, I'm called to preach this. this. So he was set apart first at his conversion by God, set apart, called by his grace. Then he was set apart, I'm sorry, at his birth. That's supposed to say at his birth. I didn't change the words there. All right, so the first one is set apart by God before his conversion. The second is set apart by Jesus Christ at his conversion. So when Paul was on the road to Damascus, what happened? We know the story. He saw this bright light, right? God spoke to him. The other men standing around, they heard a sound, but they didn't hear the voice. They didn't know the words. If you look at the Greek language, it's very specific. They heard a sound, but they didn't hear the words. Paul heard the words. In Acts chapter 9, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, So Paul heard the words that the Lord said. Then he went to this place. Three days he was without sight. Then God spoke to Ananias, Ananias went to, to him and ministered to him. The Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, chosen, set apart, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So it's not just, Paul's not just called to Gentiles, he's called to kings also. Did he appear before kings? Yep. <laughs> and all the way up to Nero. And the children of Israel. So he's also called to minister to the Jewish believers. So Ananias says, the Lord said, you're a chosen instrument. So at Paul's conversion, he is told he's been set apart. Look at Acts 22. Paul gives his testimony three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. Actually, I could say Luke does, but two of those... Acts 22 and Acts 26 are Paul recounting his conversion experience. Acts chapter 9 is Luke just writing it. So Acts 22, and Paul says the same thing he said before, and Ananias 
came to him while he was there without sight. And Ananias said, the God of our fathers. And so here, Paul, it's not that he's disagreeing with what Luke wrote earlier. He's adding more context. Ananias said a whole lot more than what it says in Acts 9.15. He also said what's in chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. Ananias also said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. God has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to see the Christ, and to hear a voice direct from his mouth. Why? Because you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So that was also told to him. You've been set apart for this. And we can stand back and say, well, why did he choose Paul? Why didn't he choose me? You know, why don't I get this? Because God set him apart for what God set him apart for. And he set you apart for what he set you apart for. Don't go messing with what God has done for someone else. I didn't want to suffer anyway, yeah. Okay. Then in Acts 26, he gives a little bit more. And here he tells more of what Jesus said specifically to him. So all we got in Acts 9 was, Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, Go to a place. And so he went. But in Acts 26, Paul tells us more. And the Lord also said, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. So God said, you're going to go. The Lord Jesus said, you're going to go. I appointed you. This is your mission. Go do it. I've shown you some things. And in the years to come, I'm going to show you more. Well, there's a That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? That God's not done showing you what he wants to show you. And that what you know so far is only a part. And so he says, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. For whom I am sending you, set apart to these people, to open their eyes. So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of God to Satan. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The Lord Jesus said, Paul, this is your commission. I set you apart to speak these words to the Gentiles so that they can find their place of forgiveness. They can find their place in heaven with me. And so all of this was told him. After that passage, by the way, Acts chapter 26, after that, Paul makes a statement to the king and he says, and to this vision, I have not been disobedient. I've done exactly what God's called me to do. But then he's also was set apart, not just by God at his, before his conversion, not by Jesus at his conversion, but also by the Holy Spirit after his conversion. And this is our familiar passage in Acts chapter 13. And Paul said, while they were worshiping the Lord, this is at the church in Antioch, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In other words, they know they're called. They know what they're called to. Now it's time for them to be set apart. They didn't set themselves apart. They didn't go on their own authority. They were set apart for this work. And the Spirit of God did this after his conversion. What about us? 
Are we set apart? Has God set us apart? Let's look at a couple of verses here, just down toward the bottom of your page two. Ephesians chapter two says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been set apart to do what? Good works. Not good works to get saved. Good works because we have been saved. Works that are intrinsically good. Works that are good or beautiful within themselves. The world might not consider them beautiful, but they're beautiful to God. So when we witness to people and we minister to people, though the world might not stand back and applaud, God does. Because these are the good works he has set us apart to do. And it says, so you are God's workmanship. Again, that word is poem. We talked about that before. It's a, it's a work of art. It's something beautiful, uh, carefully formed, a workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is what the rest of says, which God prepared beforehand. Before you were saved, God created works for you to do. So get busy. Get busy. The boss is coming back. Look busy. Yeah. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How can I walk in them if I don't know what they are? I need to spend some time with the Lord. I need to spend some time in prayer. I need to spend some time in in the scriptures so that I can find out what these things are that God has called me to do. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. I'm just going to read this. Uh, you can study this on your own, but let me just read this. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. For by the grace given to me, that's God's appointment to him, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul's saying in that verse is there is no such thing as a lone wolf in the body of Christ. You need each other. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think you can do this life without anybody else because you can't. You need others. You need Paul because he wrote it in the scriptures. And so you can't do this Christian life on your own. You need others because you've only got a certain measure of faith and you need the others who have other measures of faith to make up the whole. I like pie. A piece of pie is good, but the whole pie is better. As you can tell by looking at me. Anyway, so Romans chapter 12, but, but he says, don't think you, each, each one of you needs the other. Verse 4 says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We, we need each other because we are not a church if we're not joined to other people. We're just a person. A toe without a foot, without a body. Not very effective. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Listen to me. This is, this is important that you understand. God made you different on purpose. God made you different and he gave you different gifts on purpose. You're not supposed to be like everyone else. 
It's God's design that we're not like everyone else. So celebrate your differences instead of complaining that you don't have their difference. All right, I'll move on. First Peter chapter 4. Paul says it another, or Peter says it this way. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one of you, it says, as each one of you has received a gift, use it. You got a gift. You've been set apart. You've been given a gift. You've been given something. You received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Don't use it for yourself. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. The word varied is a Greek word which means multicolored. God's multicolored grace. There are so many different shades. You know, I grew up, you know, with the primary colors. Red, blue, yellow. Yellow was always my favorite. I don't know why, just was. But then they came out with this box of crayons. Twelve colors. I want I don't want I just don't I don't want three, I want twelve. And then I went to school and somebody had twenty-four. And then somebody came in with their seventy-two colors in the crayon box. It's like, that's all the colors that there are. Really? How many colors does your computer screen show? Billions. Billions of colors. There's, you, you can't t- Wait, there's just one color of light. It's white. Well, no, there's the rainbow. <laughs> it breaks it up. There's three primary colors, but... The blending of those colors makes billions. So it is in the body of Christ. We are different by God's design. Use your gift for someone else. You're a steward. Now, when you're a a trustee, that's the same Greek word for steward as a trustee. When you're a trustee, the money does not belong to you. It belongs to someone else. But you're supposed to use it for what they designated it to be used for. You've got the authority, but you can't use it for yourself. You're a what? A trustee. So are you with the giftings, the setting apart that God has given to you in your life. Whatever you're set apart for, whatever God's purpose for you is, you have to use that for someone else. Because you're a steward, not an owner. All right? So we use those to serve one another. Look at the top of your page three. By the strength that God supplies. Use your gift according to the strength that God has given. So that God's glorified, not you. All right, so then Paul says, not only that, he says, I've set apart. Now we come to this for the gospel of God. And when I was thinking of different title to put in this section, I put it's nothing new. Though it's good news, it's nothing new. Because this message has been proclaimed and Paul introduces it that way. So Paul's first reference to this gospel is found in these verses. This gospel of God, and then what does he say? This gospel, which God promised beforehand. God promised these things beforehand. In the Holy Scriptures. So, the good news 
is found in the Old Testament. Amplified in the New Testament, of course, through the life of Jesus and through his ministry and realized by the saints so that the gospel is realized in our life, but started in the Old Testament. And that's how Paul preached it from the Old Testament. So Paul says this gospel, which God promised beforehand. I didn't write this reference in there, but I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Just write in Acts chapter 17. Paul comes to the church at Thessalonica. And just this little statement by Luke talking about Paul's ministry. Here's what he presents. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom. So this is what he did every city he went to. Every time he had an opportunity, he went into the synagogue, and this is what he did. And on three Sabbath days, that's three weeks in a row, he reasoned, reasoned, Unline that word if you got a Bible. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament. Because there was no New Testament. There were no gospels yet. So when he reasoned with them from the scriptures, and the word reason is a Greek word which means to ask a question and answer it. It's not, don't ask people for their answers. You ask the question and you answer it. So what does it mean to reason? I ask the question, I'm going to answer it. It means to ask a question so that you can direct the conversation. So that you are directing what people are learning, what people are hearing. So, what color is a polar bear? White. Right? No, shave off his hair, he's black. Yeah. So what? No. To ask a question and answer it, because you want the conversation to go where you want it to go. And it was a common phrase. Now, the word that's used is dialogue. So we think a dialogue is two people talking. But in Greek philosophy, it wasn't that way. It was to ask a question and answer it. What did Paul do? He would open their Old Testament, and he would read a passage from the Old Testament. He said, who is this about? Well, it's not about this person. It's not about that person. It's about the Messiah. And so he would direct their thinking, not let them think what they want, but direct their thinking to what he wants. And so he would use this. And so it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving. So here's two more things that he did. Explaining, the Greek word means to open it up. We'd almost say dissect it, to open it up. And so then Paul would lead them to a passage by question and answer, he would lead them to a place, then he would open up what that was all about. And then the Greek word for proving is close to our word for parable. So then he would give them some application of how that worked in their life and how that applied, how it applied to Jesus, how it applied from Jesus to the believers in the New Testament. And so Paul was doing all of this from what? from the Old Testament. And so Paul would present all of this and tell them, listen, proving that it was necessary 
for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead, and then proclaiming, the word saying is better proclaiming, this Jesus whom I proclaim, this one I've been talking about, this one who did all these things that the Old Testament said that he would do, he is the one who fulfilled all these things. I showed you how he did it. I explained it to you. This one whom I'm proclaiming is the Messiah. Believe it. And then Paul would give his invitation and people would come to be saved. All right? And so he was with them. If you follow Paul in city after city, you follow Paul in the different places, it uses some of these same words almost everywhere he goes. Proving that Jesus is the Christ. How? By researching the Old Testament and showing them what it was saying. And so here's Paul proclaiming. Let's go back to our notes. So what does he say? These things which God promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures. So the Old Testament, that's the Holy Scriptures he's referencing. Now we know, are the New Testament, the Gospels and the letters, are, are they the Holy Scriptures also? Yes, but Paul didn't have access to those. And I'm not saying don't use them. Use them. Because they're helping you understand all those things that the Old Testament was telling about. Some person made this kind of a little rhyme. The old, what the Old Testament proclaims, the New Testament explains. And so what is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. So we have this, this proclamation of the gospel from the Old Testament. So he goes on. This gospel which God promised beforehand. Look at the references I've got there. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Just quoting part of a verse. Titus says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised how long ago? Before the ages began. So this promise that Paul made reference to, the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand, was all the way back before time began. Amen. This eternity passed. This is beyond our ability to conceive of something that existed before time. But that's what he says. Before the ages, before... You, you may, your translation may say world, before the world, but it's talking about time. And before the ages, the time periods began. And so this message has been hidden for that long. And what was the message? What is this gospel? Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Go up on a high mountain, Zion, herald of good news. Old Testament, you're coming back from Babylon. When you get to Jerusalem, go up in Zion and proclaim good news. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem, herald of good news, the gospel. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. This is the announcement that the Messiah would come. That is, in essence, the boiled down three word definition of the gospel. Behold your God. Jesus is that Messiah. Paul proves it. 
other apostles prove him. He was that one that God was proclaiming. That's good news. So that when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist said, good news. He's here. This is your Messiah. Believe him. Receive him. Behold your God. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the one who brings what? Good news, the gospel. It's the same word, the gospel. Presented by Isaiah 700 years before Christ. So Isaiah says, this gospel is coming. This gospel, go up on the mountain, proclaim good news. How beautiful are those who publish peace. This gospel includes peace. Who, those who bring good news of happiness. Who publish salvation. This is this gospel is full of what? Peace, happiness, salvation. The Greek word used for salvation is the word shalom. We would translate it as peace. But it's shalom, salvation, the fullness, wholeness, everything restored, everything made whole. Isn't that wonderful? That's the good news. Everything made whole. It should make people happy. Who says to Zion, what else? Besides behold your God, what else does this gospel say? Your God reigns. Not only is he here. He reigns. So what he does, what he is proclaiming, what he is presenting is overwhelmingly true. Because he reigns. He's the one who's in charge. Nahum even presents a, a, a negative side of this. Nahum's not a book that most of you would read. That's why I put this one in here. It's kind of a it's, it's dark. It's not a happy, it's not a happy letter. All right. And so you're going to get to that when you say, well, this is really, this is really disgusting this morning because it's about judgment and it's about all these things. But within that, look at Nahum chapter one, verse 15 it says, look there on the mountain, the feet of one who brings what? The gospel in the midst of judgment. There's one who brings the gospel. Good news. You know what? In my life, I was on my way to judgment. I don't know where you were, but I was on my way to judgment. But suddenly there appeared one who brings what? Good news. The gospel. Who proclaims peace? Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade. They will be completely destroyed. God reigns, and he's going to get rid of all the wickedness, all the evil, all of the sin. That's all part of the message of the gospel. And then Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. We make one transition over to the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, the beginning. The beginning. Mark doesn't mess around with all oh, this and Mary and Joseph and stories and angels and 
childhood. And Mark just gets right down to the point. The beginning of the good news of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. There it is. This is it. We're just going to start right where it begins. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Again, we're back to Old Testament proclamation. Saying, I will send my messenger. Who is that? John the Baptist. Ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for who? For the Lord. Behold your God. Your God reigns. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So this message of the gospel. Go down to the bottom of page 3. Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of my kind of favorite Christmas verses. If you want to talk about a Christmas verse. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's a Christmas message. Yeah. Verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world. The Greek language actually says, When Christ was coming into the world. He said, now listen, I put this little note in there. This is the voice of the pre-incarnate Christ. Mary didn't hear it, right? The shepherds didn't hear baby Jesus saying these words. The Christ was saying them. This is his, this is his deity making proclamation about his humanity. Wow. So the, the deity of the in pre-incarnate Christ... Speaking about the humanity that was coming into the world. Said what? Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. But a body you prepared for me. That's his humanity. A body you made for me. In burnt offerings and, and sin offerings you have not taken pleasure. Oh, didn't, didn't God write a whole book about offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings? Didn't God write a whole book about that? What do you mean? He didn't take pleasure. Because that's not what they were about. It wasn't about killing animals. Because killing animals saved no one. The death of those animals was a picture to direct you to the hope of a Messiah that was going to come and bear away all your sin. In burnt offerings, you didn't take pleasure. Then I said, it's the pre-incarnate Christ, his deity, saying, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it's written in the scroll of the book. And he came into the earth in his humanity. So we find these two, these two things bringing forth God's purpose. This, this passage is not about the physical son. Yeah, he's Mary's son, but he's not really. Was he Mary's child? Yes. Yeah, but not really, because he was more, right? What does Paul go on? Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. And so here he's going to get into some some passages about the humanity of Jesus. So we will take up from this page and then we'll move on to the next section as Paul begins his thanksgiving for this church. But 
Paul wants to help these people understand that this gospel is about God saving us. That's really what the gospel is about. I know it's the power of God unto salvation. I know that. And I know that there's all kinds of things that the gospel means. And there are so many different things that the gospel contains. But what it is, is God's choice to save you. And that's good news. That's good news. That I don't have to save myself. That my works are dead, which is what they came out to John the Baptist to be baptized for. <laughs> they, they came out there to be baptized as repentance from dead works. But again, aren't we talking about the law? Aren't we talking about sacrifices and offering? Yeah, but they were dead works because to the people, all they were doing was killing animals. And they missed the promise of the Messiah. They missed what God wanted them to understand. So John brought them out there that they would be repenting from dead works and dedicating themselves unto the kingdom of God. This is God's rule. This is God does it his way. Not you do it your way. And so we'll go on with this. We'll talk about his humanity. We'll talk about his deity. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord God, that you help us understand how powerful your word is. Words written thousands of years ago still contain the power to bring forth eternal life in those who hear and believe. Father, we just thank you that you have so conceived a plan and brought it forth within the scriptures, through the prophets, through the Psalms, through the declarations and the stories of the Old Testament and revealed in your Son and in the letters of the New Testament. Father, what a miracle this Bible is. That you speak to us words that bring life, direct our life, correct our life, and sustain our life. We thank you for these things, Father. As always, we pray that you give us words to help lead others to this same saving faith that we have found in you. And we thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.